Hello, 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 and welcome to week 36 of the 52 Week Film Project. We are back this week. We have reviewed the BAFTAs, we have reviewed the Golden Globes, and we are now going to give our full review of the Oscars 2019, the pinnacle of the film awards season. Um, happened well in the UK from 1 a.m. till 4 a.m. So, no, me and Will did not stay up to watch it, but we have watched <laughs> it since. Um, and I'm going to chat through that today. We are also going to follow that up with our review of the week, which is going to be of Cold Pursuit, which is the latest Liam Neeson action flick, um, which I, I I want to say surprised both of us. Will we haven't really discussed it much yet? Uh, it definitely surprised me. I mean, it is a it's a bonkers film. I don't think I've seen a film like that like that in a while. That's like unintentionally bonkers. Um, it's but it's, gra- it's, it's not fabulous. as run-of-the-mill action vigilante classic Liam Neeson taken as I was expecting it to be, which was cool. I was expecting it to be very sort of like, this is a generic action film, Liam Neeson goes out for revenge. It's not like that at all. Liam Neeson is sort of barely part of it. It's all, it's all an ensemble character story with some very funny comedy moments. Yeah, and some very... very, very very Coen Brothers, very Fargo-esque. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> but we'll get into that properly in a bit. First up, the Oscars 2019. Um, quite a lot to talk about. There was some incredible moments. There were some incredibly awkward moments. There were some ridiculous outfits. There were some ridiculously good outfits. Um, and some really great speeches. Um what what were your highlights of if we're talking about just general oscar moments mate do you have some highlights from this year uh yes okay so one of my main highlights i think i think it's um a, a lot of people from the uk's highlight is olivia coleman's acceptance speech for oh her my God. best yeah. actress it was just it's exactly what we expect from olivia Col- coleman doing an award speech but this time because it was the oscars and she was genuinely surprised and very upset about it 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 was so heartwarming as well it was baffling it was bizarre it was surrealist but it had such a heart towards it and she obviously was flummoxed it was great oh she's so, she's so frazzled it's so sweet i mean we had the same kind of thing me and you when we reviewed the baftas we made a point of thinking oh she's so lovely and she she kind of she accepts it with such grace, but is so bloody nervous for someone who acts for a living. Mm. Um, and she just kind of she she gave an even like it, it, it's like it's not like she's going up there trying to be funny, but it comes off like everything's really hilarious and really sweet that she's saying. And like she like um, she she like buzzed when when the teleprompter came up saying time to wrap up. She was like, oh fuck off or whatever, and carried on talking. Yeah, she was um, like, oh oh oh, move on. <laughs> I loved it. It was just silly yeah. things like that. And then Glenn Close, who obviously was up for Best Actress as well, um, who, interesting thing that I found out today, um, she's had seven nominations and she's never received an Oscar, uh, making her the most nominated living actor without a win, male or female. I thought maybe this is wrong. I thought this was Pete, that was Peter O'Toole. Maybe Peter I'm- O'Toole has won a couple of Oscars because Peter O'Toole I think has been nominated for about f- 15 Oscars and maybe just won one well this is I mean this is what it said on the times but I, what, <laughs> what, 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 what was it so you're wrong Will basically <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was so great about the Olivia Coleman speech was she looked over at Glenn Close and what did she say she said something like uh, 
oh Glenn, like I've I've been I've idolised you for years. This isn't how I wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. She didn't want to win the Oscar. She wanted. To, I love that. I love. That and then she like comment. spots Lady Gaga randomly. She's like, oh, Lady Gaga. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like at the end of the speech, she just becomes frazzled and doesn't know how to end. So she just looks at random things in the audience to try and give her more ammunition. Yeah, it's fantastic. What um, my other this is a this is a comedy bit for me. My other favorite bit um, is one of the most awkward things I've ever seen, which was when um, I think it was Vice um, won one of its a few awards uh, at the Oscars uh, for best makeup. And the makeup team... Do you know this moment? No, go on. No, when the makeup team go up, and there's three of them, and one person gets to the stage first, um, and he's won, I think, the, I think four Oscars before for his makeup, and he's ready to do like his normal Oscar speech, and he's like starts thanking everyone, and then the two other people arrive... And then they open their speech up and they'd obviously pre-planned this speech with like things to do. But the middle person was not having any of the other per- any of the other people's like um, problems. So they were just like interrupting each other. Um, they said the wrong names. There was the, at one point the guy kept on getting his names wrong and she and this <laughs> and the middle woman was just desperately whispering in his ear like wrong name, wrong name, wrong name. And I was like, you can hear you. It's the Oscars. Oh um, and thinking that whispering make a difference. It was one of the funniest car crashes of a speech I've ever seen at the Oscars. Uh, that was great. Um, best moments apart from that, um, Ludwig Göransson winning best score. Yeah, was a personal highlight. Um, what did you well, think of the, the um, no host structure? I thought it was cool. I think um, I'm a really big fan of Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, and I'm becoming a fan of Maya Rudolph. I had no idea who she was really until The Good Place, and she plays a character called the Judge in uh, The Good Place, the TV show, and she's absolutely hilarious. And the three of them together, like what a trio! Like they could and should have just hosted the whole thing themselves. Mm. Um, which was kind of, I suppose, the, the fact that they knew they could do that was kind of why their little bit was so funny and so memorable. Well, um, what, what's a lot of the um, online news, and um, I completely agree with this, um, have been saying about this Oscars, is that because there was not a host, they there was an opening sequence by Queen, which made everyone feel excited. Then you had a two minutes of essentially the best bits of the Oscars yeah. jokes. The because sometimes re- people go yeah. on for too long. They go on for 10 minutes. They sort of go on. They have an agenda. I mean, was it last year where Jimmy oh, Kimmel essentially just Jimmy did a... Kimmel, all man. he did was a Donald Trump on set. On and on. Yeah, and, it just, it, and, they, and it, I think a lot of comu- comedians have to prove that they are being like anti-Oscar in a way. They're like, oh, the Oscars is about controversy and then just talk about the controversy at the awards, which yeah. is not what you want. But allowing them to be a no host, it put emphasis on the presenters where they got some really weird, cool duos like Jason Momoa and Helen Mirren presenting, which is just odd. Um, but it also meant that you had more time with like Olivia Coleman's speech. That wouldn't have normally gone on that long because the presenter would have to introduce that each segment. Or when shallow, um, the, the shallow happened between um, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, what then happens is that they you can you zoom in on them until the end of the uh, uh, until the ad break starts, which means that it increases the moment rather than the host but, leaving. But also, that's been just on that note. So the, this has been a big 
part of the news of the Oscars is this whole like super steamy performance between mm. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga and his wife was kind of sat there watching and was with them the whole evening and uh, like is there something going on and those people have been like yeah they're definitely sleeping together and all this kind of stuff like I, I just hate that because these guys are in the running for some of the biggest accolades you can get as an actor or an actress in that awards evening a Star Is Born was obviously nominated for Best Picture as well as Best Original Song, and it, it's it's tr- that performance at the Oscars between the two of them is truly testament to how great the characters were in that film, and truly testament to how well they acted together. It's got nothing to do with them having this crazy chemistry, but the reason it's been so dramatic is because they cut to the ad break in the Oscars like show that millions of people watch. You know, the ratings were up this year, surprisingly. Mm. Um, But they cut right at the kind of steamiest part where they were like inches away from each other, staring into each other's eyes. And what I was reading online yesterday was that actually, if you were there or if you saw the rest of it, what then happened was they got up, they stood up, they bowed, they had a standing ovation, and then they walked back to the seats where um, Bradley Cooper's wife, her name escapes me, but she like ran up to Lady Gaga, gave her a great big hug, and then ran up to her husband and gave him a kiss and sat down together. And it's like, if they'd shown that whole bit, I don't really think there would be anywhere near as much of the gossipy news going on about them having this really steamy onstage moment. Mm. Because it just didn't show the whole picture. Yeah. It's very, very clever, like very, very like clever of them to do it that way. But... I don't know, they, they're quite choice with the way they cut things in the Oscars. And I, I don't think, I don't always think it's very professional. Yeah. Es- especially the way they cut people's speeches and things. Like, And it's now kind of become a thing that people are worried about. Like when Spike Lee finally received an Oscar and received it for best adapted screenplay with Black Klansman, um, you know, love him or hate him. He went up onto the stage and one of the first, like I think literally the first thing he said, which was actually bleeped out by the Oscars on the live, the live broadcast was something like, don't you start that fucking clock or something like that. Because it's like, for someone like him, who's been snubbed a few times before, which is an interesting point because there's been parallels drawn about how he was snubbed with Green Book winning Best Picture, just like he was when Do the Right Thing was snubbed when Driving Miss Daisy won. Uh, several years ago um it's kind of a similar it's almost history repeating itself but when you've taken this long to get to that stage and you're finally being recognized and you've got you know so much you want to say it's a bit i would be a bit fucking miffed if i was scared that they were going to kind of play me off with music after 90 seconds oh yeah for the sake of a tv show running to broadcast time do you know what i mean oh 100 percent um i think spike spike lee at this award seat at, at this um he fucking I think loves Spike purple Lee's... doesn't he loves what? purple every he loves award, purple every award show this season he's been wearing purple purple beret purple suit yeah purple he does shoes. love purple um he kind of for me was the sort of the if 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 the oscars was itself a film he was the best supporting actor of the um, of the whole thing he he was he did a he did a great speech. Although I thought it was a, I thought towards the end it was a bit self indulgent. Mm. Um, I don't yeah. See, this is the point. I don't particularly like him. I find him quite abrasive and bullshit. But I'm proud. I'm like I'm 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 happy for him. 
Yeah. I'm very happy that he's he's finally got that recognition. I kind of think that at the Oscars and all these award ceremonies, he has to be bullshit. Yeah, he's been yeah. he's been I don't think he started like that. I think when he went to these award ceremonies in the nineties and the eighties, I think he was like any other director. <laughs> well, no, no, I think 90, he's nineties first and then and then on to the eighties. Yes, nineties and then eighties, yes. That's how time works. Um oh. <laughs> But yeah, I think he wasn't like that. I think the 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 um the the system of the Oscars and the sort of like the, pr- the primness of it um, has kind of has kind of wisened him to it, and I don't and I and I think he's now sort of malformed into someone that if when Green Book won the Oscar walks out walks out the ceremony and then badmouths it because he's he's seen it all before he's seen history like kind of repeat itself. Um, I suppose that leads us quite naturally onto. Um, Green Book's best picture win. Now what? Now we watched Green Book. Was it two weeks ago? Now it's two weeks. Yeah, ago a couple we of weeks back. And we both liked the film a lot. We thought it was. A, we thought it was a really, really good film. We didn't think it was anything groundbreaking. We did, talk, but we well, we, we reviewed it highly. We we gave it a very good review. Yes, we it did. Was, it it was a very. It, this is the thing about this movie, which is what everyone's kind of got a bit of a problem about is it touches on quite a difficult subject but in a very neat and friendly and comedic way it doesn't break any bread or break any new ground as it were in terms of tackling racism in popular film um it plays it very safe and it kind of just it's just a nice movie where the racism is kind of a theme in it but isn't really the overarching point it's kind of we talked a lot about when we watched it you we enjoyed it more when it was just kind of being this offbeat story about two unlikely friends than thinking about it through that lens of it being an important film showing the black experience in the south in the 60s yeah when it was trying to be profound i, d- I don't think it ever worked but it ne- as well. but, but then i i made the case in the review that it, 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 it i don't think it ever really tried to be overly profound and people gave it shit for that because they felt it should have been um, but also because they accused it of being white lens and I think the situation here is yes it's it's it was produced primarily by um, a white team um, that doesn't mean they don't care about the subject matter but I think what's happened here is the wires have got crossed where people were marketed a movie that was meant to be really moving and really dig into the the deep subject matter. But in reality, the film that was produced in the final edit was more leaning towards comedic than it was dramatic. And because of that, people think that it's white lens because they don't think that they're really tackling it in the way they should. But what, like, but the point I'm trying to make is that it... Oh, fuck, I just can't get my words out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing a very good job of doing of getting your words out, Jake. It's, it's a very good point. I, I, just think, I, I just think that they, the team behind that film made a conscious decision to make it more comedic than dramatic. Yes. And that's been kind of lost in translation by people that expected it to be this really deep film. And so instead of accusing it of not... Oh, mate, you know what? I've lost myself. I've lost myself. 
no, I, I, I completely understand understand your point of that. It's des- its design as a film was not marketed to, let's say, the audience that Black Klansman was Black Klansman has been marketed to. But th- but there is a conflation this year with everything that's happened with all the racial politics going on of Green Book in comparison to films like Black Klansman and Sorry to Bother You um, and and Black Panther. Um, I think that Green Book has been... like recent. I've seen a couple of um, interviews online. I've seen a couple of news articles. And pe- some people are comparing this to Shakespeare in Love winning the Oscar or Crash winning the Oscar. Yeah, they are. I just don't think that's the case. I think Green Book is a very, very good film that in any other year would have would have been a fine contender to win the oscar now personally i don't think it's the best film out out of out of the roster i think it's a kind of a safe choice i think that for me a star is born and roma trumpet but i also i also critically don't think that black either black panther or black clansman trump green book in no terms, i agree i um, agree in we terms reviewed, of being we film we didn't give Black Klansman the strongest review. I think we both gave it around a seven or an eight. No, yeah, um, I and I, and I still would I still would stick with that. Um, I think that I think the problem is that it just the Green Book winning was just not the right year for Green Book to win in terms of cultural zeitgeist. But I don't like the fact that it's been portrayed as like this upset as this dramatic upset of it being a terrible film. Yeah. when it re- It's a film with Mahershala Ali, who's done some of the mo- most incredible acting work in the last two to three years. Who, who won Best Supporting Actor as well. Exactly. And Viggo Mortensen, who is consistently great, is consistently, in my eyes, one of the best actors working in Hollywood today, yeah. and was produced by a good team who knew what they were doing and was cinematically pleasing. And I think what... I think my last memory, my, my last point on this is that I think everyone, the main lasting impact for, of Green Book for me is that it's a very likeable film. And the fact that it's been turned into a film that's not liked, even though the film itself is, it, it tries so hard to get you all to come along with it and, and to get you all to be smiling at the end of it and for you all to cry and for you to, all to like laugh at its jokes. Like it really tries to empathetically endear you to the film and for a film like that to get to get all this hate it's a bit of a shame i don't think it should have won best picture i do not think it should it's, it should be treated like it's um a, a piece a nothing film no i agree it deserves to win much more than vice and bohemian rhapsody oh et yeah i i think the reason the reason a very interesting point you made about likening it to crash and shakespeare and love i don't think it's that much of a bond decision but i think that it only just about gets by because the rest of the nominees this year they weren't there weren't any like titanic level nominees like don't get me wrong the favorite is a terrific film but i never saw it winning Black Panther is the people's choice, but was never really going to win. Um, Roma is, it would have been such a ballsy decision for them to make Roma best picture. I mean, something happened with Roma at the Oscars, which was already making history, was that Alfonso Cuaron won best director and best cinematography and best foreign film. But the combination of director and cinematography going to the same movie 
is something that no director has ever achieved. No so single director has ever achieved at the Oscars before. Oh, I did not know that. That's which, great. Which is, which is already a ridiculous achievement. And in many ways, I think, because of how personal this film is to him, probably more valuable than winning Best Picture. Mm. So Roma, for me, really was the winner. Um, I was very happy with Rami Malek winning Best Actor because at the end of the day... He he caught a lucky year where, again, I don't think that there were any nominees other than Bradley Cooper that were really screaming to deserve an award. And the problem um, with... Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just think, uh, just briefly, I think the problem with Bradley Cooper is that he was directing and acting, and that kind of split him down the middle in terms of votes, and in yeah. terms of, like, are we... Uh, are we appreciating him as a really good director, which he was, or are we appreciating him as a really good actor, which he was? He can't win. He 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 was probably not going to win both. And I think because of that, he didn't win any. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there was another big thing that happened in terms of diversity this year was that um, it was the first year where um, any any black, I think black women or black men and women had won Oscars that weren't just for Best Actor, Actress or Best Film. Oh. So, so, so hear me out. So three of the four acting winners were people of colour. So Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, which, again, like we've talked about this at length, I really don't think she deserves all of this praise for this film, but I think she's a lovely woman. And Chris Evans helping her up the steps to receive her award is just the most chivalrous and adorable thing I think I've ever seen. He lives up to the name of Captain America. Oh, he is Captain America. (laughs) Um, But so she won, Mahershala Ali won, and Rami Malek won. Um, And then the first African-American woman to win Best Costume and Production Design happened for both for Black Panther. So Ruthie Carter won Best Costume Design and Hannah Beachler won Best Production Design. I think that was one of my um, favourite heartfelt speeches was um, her talking about um, Ryan Coogler. Um, she just mm. teared up and she was like, I've never worked with someone who was so understanding and, and oh, yeah. when brought this like level of... Af- I don't think she says this, but this is implied, I, I think implied, this level of Afrocentricity and playfulness and calmness and allowing me to do my own thing um it was really not it was really nice to hear that because you hear these stories of sort of directors being there's the director image and then there's the director on set who's actually a bit weird and a bit commanding but it sounds like ryan coogler is just the nicest guy and she's had the best experience of working with him it was lovely I mean, he's one of the best up-and-coming directors around. Mm-hmm. Um, from going from doing Fruitvale Station, which I still think is one of the most sobering films I've ever watched, to doing Creed, the first one. Shame he wasn't around for the second one. Um, and now doing the Black Panther franchise. Like he's he's incredible. He's incredible, and she she really deserved it. And I mean, what a hilarious uh, way to announce the costume design awards, by the way. So. For anyone who hasn't seen this, please go and look it up on YouTube. If you if you if you Google or YouTube anything after hearing our Oscars rundown, please make it this. Melissa McCarthy and Brian Tyree Henry came out to announce the Best Costume Design Award, and Melissa McCarthy was wearing this like Queen Anne gown, kind of likened to what Olivia Colman wears in The Favorite, but it's it had sewed into it about 20 different rabbits 
as kind of an ode to the fact that Queen Anne in the film, the favourite, has all these rabbits that she looks after in her bed chambers. And there was this one rabbit which is just a mitten. And every time she said something, she'd move the rabbit like it was the one that was speaking into the microphone. And Brian Brian, Brian Tyree Henry hardly said anything, but he was wearing this just ridiculous, like, he looked like a pheasant. He looked like a pheasant. But, like, with kind of imbued with all of this kind of Georgian style. it It was absolutely bizarre. But, like, they looked absolutely brilliant. It was so funny. Um, I'm trying to think of other like random moments. I mean, in terms of, we got out of the 18 awards that we predicted, we got eight of them right. Yes. So we, you know, capping off award season, mate. We haven't quite gone from prediction strength to strength. Well, what we've done, I think, even better is that we started with the Golden Globes, where we got 40 percent. We then go to the BAFTAs where we get 60% on our yeah, home we, turf. Uh, yeah, we got a bit excited when the home game came. Um, and now we've sort of levelled it out. I'm going to call 44% a levelling out. Um, the thing the thing that got us, I think, was, the was interestingly, the main awards of the evening. We were not bad. So, for, so animated feature film, uh, we won with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We won. I love that. We did <laughs> yeah. win. We got it right. Um... <laughs> Best cinematography, we got right. Best costume, we got right. Best direction, we got right. Um, but then best picture, we predicted Roma got was going to over. win. Yeah. Best actress, we thought Lady Gaga was going to win. Which, which, in retrospect, I don't know why we thought that. No, that was quite a ballsy decision. To be fair, I get our best supporting actor one, though. We thought Richard E. Grant could have won. Mm, I get that as well. I, I still feel like he is kind of... That Can You Ever Forgive Me film is kind of the undersung movie at the Oscars, which is quite interesting. The other one that I haven't really looked into, they always kind of, around now, like a few days after the Oscars, there'll be those articles that are like, here are the 10 films that were completely snubbed at this year's Oscars. And I haven't seen any of that yet, but the only one I can think of in my mind is Hereditary. Yes, where is it gone? I'm not saying Hereditary deserved a Best Picture nomination, but something along the lines of production, design, sound, and absolutely a nomination for Tony Collette as Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress or whatever it would be classified as, that really was an oversight, in my mm. opinion. Um, Tony Collette that, in that film is just magnificent. It's just, um, just come out on Netflix, mate. I'm going to give it a rewatch. Oh, yeah, I think that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to see it again. Um I also think that it could have won score as well. I think that was Lud- was that Ludwig Göransson again. Yeah, Black Panther won best score. No, as in um, for Hereditary, did, did, was that Ludwig Göransson for that, or was that? Or am I completely wrong? Oh no, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So that's that some, something we spell. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now, I think just just I I I think you might you may have some more things to add. My I have two. I have a very um, in terms of win- the wins and the losses. I have one win that I'm extremely proud of, and one win, one win that I'm I'm sad that another one didn't win. Um, I'll start with the one that didn't win. Uh, unfortunately, um, First Man won visual effects, and Solo: A Star Wars Story did not win. Oh, R.I.P. Solo. 
RIP, but that's it. That's gone. That was it. That was its one chance to try and regain some... Get some DVD sales. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a few... Push a few Blu-rays out. Yeah. Now that now it's back to VHS. It's, it's, it's a shame. It's gone back in time. Um, no, and... But, however, all of that is taken out of account considering what happened at the Oscars. They only went and did it. Bao has an Oscar for Woo! short animated film. Well done, Bao. Yeah, well done, Bao. I saw Truly someone... the best film at the Oscars this year was Bao. Uh, to be fair, I saw someone eating a dumpling on the street yesterday and I nearly screamed, no, don't, because <laughs> I thought it looked like it had a little face on it. I will say, Jake, I think and you then said I realized, the same thing And then I realised I need to go to sleep. <laughs> I think you said the same thing last episode, so I think I think this is a recurring theme that you just see people with dumplings and go, no, no, I must protect them. <laughs> There's a big fucker as well. I was thinking, is that a child's head she's eating? <laughs> no, it was a dumpling. <laughs> oh, anyway, dear. no, I, I think that's, in terms of kind of the awards, I think what was won and what was lost, well, nothing was lost. It's the Oscars. You either win or you don't. Um, <laughs> they don't take things away from you. Yep. But in terms of just other interesting things that happened, um, Trevor Noah may be my least favourite talk show host, but he had the best joke of the whole show. Did you did did you catch the Trevor Noah bit? Um, I, I, I think I missed it. I think I watched him presenting, but I didn't. So think... so he was in when he was introducing uh, Best Picture nominee Black Panther. He made a joke and he said something like, uh, "Growing up as a young boy in Wakanda, um, I would see T'Challa flying over our village, and he would remind me of a great Dosa phrase. Dosa being an actual language in 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 mm. real in the real world." Um, and he said something in like a, in kind of Afrikaan, um, and he and he said it. This means in times like these, we are stronger when we fight together than when we than when we try to fight apart. Um, and it was like this. <laughs> people thought it was this really lovely moment until uh, this BBC columnist like live tweeted and said that, that that's not the translation. What he actually just said at the Oscars on live TV is white people don't know that I'm lying. <laughs> Which is just just hilarious. Just uh, absolutely hilarious. And I didn't pick up on it. I didn't, obviously, like, no one, who would pick up on it until someone actually explained it to you? But just like, that is so funny. Um, very, very well played. I also thought um, there's that video going into kind of like the show busy kind of, you know, the little bits and bobs. Um did you see the big Oscar statue being like stolen? No. So there was a bit on the red carpet that was captured. Then obviously they've got these giant Oscar statues that kind of stand by the doors. They're like as big as like a, an actual person. They're more than six foot high. Um, and there was this really random video that went viral of two blokes in tuxedos. were assuming that they're staff at the event, like, in a very kind of like to me to you to me to you moment like literally running off with one of the statues oh my god and the video is great because you've got like no context it's like three seconds long and you just see them legging it with a giant oscar um and someone tweeted it saying something like that's spike lee running off with his best picture (laughs) (laughs) um what else happened james mcavoy um, just decided to go around the Oscars getting his shirt signed by every actor and actress he could conceivably meet, which was brilliant. It looked like um, like 
sixth form leavers day by the end of it where he was on the red carpet at the end of the awards show and people were taking pictures of him and in like different coloured sharpies people are like signed so he's now got a shirt a shirt that's signed by most of the actors in Holly actors and actresses in Hollywood, which is really cool. That's genius. Um there was a really awkward Jason Momoa moment. Did you see this on the red carpet? Um, I think I did see. Oh yes, was it? Was it one of the it, where, e where, presenters where she was... tried to get him to do the hacker? Yeah. So basically, so Jason Momoa obviously like there's a few videos of him actually doing the hacker at like the Aquaman premiere or something like that, and so this like variety news columnist or something who was on the red carpet interviewing celebs, she like says to him like. Come on, uh, do do something from the hacker for me. Come on, come on. And she's like really pushing him, really pushing him. And you can tell he really doesn't want to do it. And then so he just sort of turns around. He sort of goes, kind of like kind of like barks at her. <laughs> and she sort of like half grins, and he sort of sticks his tongue out, and it's just oh, it's the most cringe thing in the world. I love that. Um, um, other awkward moments for me include uh, Richard E. Grant saying just a, like a throwaway line to Ryan Seacrest, just saying. Oh, Melissa McCarthy, I love her. I'm, I'm going to have her twins in April. Um, and Ryan Seacrest goes, I'm sorry, what What did you say? I don't understand. What did you say? What did you say? And Richard was like, it's a joke. And Ryan's like, I don't, you confused me. What's happening? Are you Are you actually having? And, oh, like, and he was like, oh, I was so awkward. And then the other best, the other, I don't know if this is a funny moment. It just happened. Um, Rami Malek at the end of the Oscars falling off the stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, bless him. Bless him. And he looked so shocked, and then he looked like he was fine, like it was like a, it was a it was a big fall, but I think he was fine. And then I just love that shot of him like surrounded by paramedics. He's just standing up, standing up, just being fine. Did you see um, Macaulay Culkin's comments about the Oscars? I was I was going to say, did you see Macaulay Culkin at the Oscars? And I was like, no, no I did not no, see. So, no, so he wasn't obviously he wasn't at the Oscars, but he tweeted this picture of himself. Um, with like two bottles of whiskey and like a fag in his mouth, a fag in his hand, and a fag over his ear, and he said something like, and he's like, the picture's him watching TV, and he says something like, "Come on, guys, I've been trying for four years and I still haven't made it into the Oscars obituary section." <laughs> 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 uh, and then he says like he hashtagged it like maybe next year or something like that. God, that guy is fucking weird. I love him though. He's he's kind of embraced the fact that he's just an oddball now. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to before when he was a legitimate oddball. Um, now he's now he's kind of embraced it and like sort of riffs on the fact that he's an oddball. I like to see him on some kind of Big Brother. Oh God, yeah, get him on. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Or oh, something. he'd be amazing. Um, I love how the, that's how our Oscars <laughs> chat is tailed Any, off. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to win any awards. Clearly. Um, final two things I was going to say. Like we could talk for a while about people's outfits. Um, but it doesn't oh, really I'll, matter. Jake, are you it, bringing up fashion? Mate, I'm bringing up fashion. Oh, I love it. But I'm bringing it up briefly because, to be honest, there's only two highlights from the Oscars that genuinely need to be spoken about. One is Billy Porter, the Billy actor from Porter. Kinky Boots. And Pose. Uh, on Broadway. Um, he wore this tuxedo dress. I've never seen anything like it. It was absolutely incredible. It's beautiful. Um, it's like this really awesome tuxedo that then billows out into this like Beauty and the Beast style dress. Um, it's just mental. Like that was so so cool. If you haven't seen a picture of it, look it up. Um, and then also 
Lady Gaga's necklace. Do you know about that? No, I don't know about the story so, behind it. So Lady Gaga, the necklace that she wore is called uh, the Tiffany Diamond. Um, it's kept in the Tiffany vaults. It's valued at thirty-eight million pounds. Oh my gosh! It's the well, hang on, hang on. It's and, the Tiffany it, Diamond. It's yeah, it's the <gasps> necklace that Audrey Hepburn wore to promote the Breakfast at Tiffany's film, uh, and it was brought out of the vault specifically for Lady Gaga. She didn't ask for it; they requested that she wore it. How insane is that? Wow, wow! I did not know. I've heard about the, the myth, the mythos. Of the Tiffany necklace for years, um, I also thought it was quite—I don't know if it "fitting" is the right word—that Emma Stone was wearing bronze. There was something about that that I was like, "Yeah, that's about right, Emma." She got massively memed though, because her dress kind of looked like a waffle or a cornetto cone, and so people have done oh, these like photoshop videos. Oh, that's why there's been loads videos. of waffles, right? There we go. That makes yeah. more sense. I thought it was a really weird dress. Did you know what um, um, Spike Lee's necklace was about? No, no idea. What was it? Something. Oh, hang on. I'm literally. I'm... <laughs> the only website that will tell me is the Irish News. Um, <laughs> um, apparently, the bright purple suit and a necklace um, is um, it's Prince's logo. Was the necklace? He's pay- He's the whole reason. Uh, it's a Prince tribute. Is, is it? Is a Prince tribute? Yeah. Because I think Prince is one of his uh, Sp- was one of Spike Lee's best friends. Cool. Well, really anyway, cool. that wraps up our quick fashion review of the and Oscars. indeed I suppose our review of the Oscars unless you've got anything more to no more to mate say. I think that's it I mean if I was going to rate the Oscars out of 10 <laughs> what was your best I, description I wouldn't be able to <laughs> um, I year on year I always wish that it would get a little bit better and it just doesn't if I could oh, I tell you what let's do this instead of best description or best moments we've done that um if you could have one wish that you'd like to come true at next year's Oscars, whether it's presenting or an award or someone winning an award or whatever, what would you want it to be? Um, I'd like, I'd like Ryan Coogler to go to go back to do a proper, like gritty, um, non non franchise film that is like is like some kind of moonlight and for it to win that's that's okay. my yeah that would that's be what i'd like to have or rupaul presenting because i think he'd be great yeah yeah okay that's a good one so all right i also have two um one of them i'd like seth mcfarlane <laughs> i'd like them to have the balls to get seth mcfarlane back to host the oscars because fuck it it's never got any better than him hosting it it was so um, good it was so good when he was hosting it. I watched that and monologue the reason, constantly. And the reason it was good is because everyone in Hollywood hated it. Yes. And that was what made it good. The second thing I'd like, but I think it's massively wishful thinking, is I would like this time next year to see Joaquin Phoenix stand up on stage to receive Best Actor for the Joker film. Wow. But I, but I don't think it will happen. Well, we've already seen it, I suppose, before with Heath Ledger. That'll be an interesting. Oh no! Shut up, Will. I have a third. I have a third wish. Um, obviously, my first wish with Seth MacFarlane is not going to be honoured, even by Will Smith, the genie. So, I would like to see Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds host the Oscars together. Oh, interesting! That is an interesting idea. Tell me why that wouldn't happen. 
that's genius because exactly. Ryan Reynolds would provide exactly. I think Hugh Jackman Hugh Jackman is a has already hosted the Oscars before um and but them as a duo exactly man, so Ryan funny. Reynolds Hugh Jackman's Oscars he was good and he had all the sh- um the, the musical theater stuff that he brings but also just the likability of him um but he also is not the funniest guy but Ryan Reynolds is a naturally funny guy and kind of a and kind of plays on the whole idea of Hollywood that would be mm-hmm. great. That would be so, that is a, a very fantastic idea. Hey, I should get into producing award ceremonies, shouldn't I? Yes, yes. Well, you've heard it here for, for, first, Jake. You've heard it here first, Jake. You've heard it here first, folks. Oh, no, the Academy, the Academy are definitely listening, thinking, "Fuck, Jake and Will better come up with some ideas because we are <laughs> struggling." <laughs> um, um, anyway, let's move on to the review of the week, film review of the week. Cold Pursuit Taken on Ice Taken Taken on Ice with some acid With some strange Norway vibes Yes And, and Coen Brothers humour that's kind of not humour but it's humour because you laugh even though it's not funny but you're finding it funny With Denver's um, legalisation of weed threaded through the film Yeah, unnecessarily Yeah uh, I think we've summed it up. So that's the end of yeah, our review. So well done. So seven <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> Thank you for listening. No, so uh, Cold Pursuit. It's um, it's an interesting little film. It's not anything like what I expected it to be. I sat down in the cinema thinking it was going to be a very run of the mill action movie. Um, you know, we've seen Liam Neeson on a train. We've seen Liam Neeson on a plane. Now we're seeing Liam Neeson in a snowplow. Um, but it's got this interesting spirit to it and it kind of it's quite a long film actually it's a clocks in at just over two hours and it's he almost in the grand scheme of the film by the end of the movie and we'll try and do it spoiler free for the most part because people probably haven't seen this because it's not been massively PR'd and it's also probably not doing that well because of the recent comments that we've touched on um, with what Liam said in the news. Um, But it's a very good film. It's a very odd film. And it he kind of, while the trailers for it make you think that it's this one man on a mission style movie like he always does, as the film progresses, he kind of becomes inconsequential and it becomes a very ensemble movie with a full range of characters and actors from all different areas of experience and you'll kind of you'll see actors and actresses in this film and you'll be like oh hey i saw them in that and i was like i saw them in that very kind of motley crew cast um remaking a norwegian film from 2014 yes i saw that at the end in the end credits um i which i did not know that this was a remake of the, of a norwegian film um, so I'd be interested. I I have not. I'll be, I'll be honest. I haven't seen that Norwegian film. Have you watched that Norwegian film? No, no, no. I haven't. But I am aware of it. So essentially, this film, Cold Pursuit, is directed by a guy called Hans Petter Moland, who is a Norwegian guy. Uh, this is it. This is his Hollywood debut. But he's been making kind of European film for quite a long time, and one of his most well known. Um, kind of one of the most well-known actors that he uses in his movies is Stellan Skarsgård, um, who I think he's well. Stellan's been in a few things we've reviewed recently, but he's also obviously related to Alexander Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård. You know, they're all that kind of 
crazy family of actors. Um, there's like seven of them, aren't there? And they always joke about it in interviews that every few years another Skarsgård makes the jump to Hollywood. Um, but Stellan is the oldest. He's like 50s, 60s. And he's worked with this Hans Petter Moland for many years. Um, most recently in 2014 in the vigilante film In Order of Disappearance, which had Stellan in the role that Liam Neeson is playing in this Hollywood remake. But it's kind, of, it's kind of fascinating, really, because they released this film in 2014. And then about a year later, um, Moland was kind of signed on to remake the movie in Hollywood. I mean, imagine doing that. Imagine, like, making a film, spending all that time on it, putting blood, sweat and tears into it, and then a year later being told, yeah, let's do it again with a bigger budget, a completely different cast, let's Americanise it right after you've just made that film. Like, that must be a weird feeling, man. Yeah, that is an interesting decision. Um, how well do you think it's... I, we haven't seen the original, but I and I, don't, I can't guess this, the director's oeuvre, but knowing from the sort of... Lot, the, the, the Norwegian sensibility of film that we've seen in TV shows, like on BBC 4's Missing and all that kind of stuff, and not Missing, what's, what's those... Um, that famous BBC Four, they keep on keep on doing these Norwegian dramas, and then the, obviously the girl with the dragon, dragons two, and things. It's a bit darker. Do you mean the, the missing? Have I said? Did I say the missing? Then second guess myself. I said the missing. Then second guess myself. That's such a shame. Um, I think. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't remember. But no, I know what you're saying. Keep going. Um, do Do you think that this the Americanization of it worked? Because I think it was very. I think you comparing it to Fargo earlier. Um, is is quite apt. It's like it's kind of like Taken meets Fargo. I think I think that's that's how I assess it. See, yeah, I I agree. I think it's my my more lengthened version of that is that it's got kind of Fargo vibes. It's kind of that Coen Brothers offbeat humor, quite strange, and you're not sure if you're meant to find it funny, but it is funny. Um, but then it's kind of across. It's like a worse version of the John Wick films, but with more tenderness, and a considerably better version of a recent film released on Netflix called Polar with Mads Mikkelsen, which stars a hitman in like a an icy mountain town, which was kind of geared up to be this really great, funny, offbeat action film and was actually like fucking diabolical like it's so bad that it's giving me a headache thinking about it um so it's this it's this strange mix i went into it thinking it was just going to be all out action and it's not it's very slow actually um and there are some incredibly deep moments in this film like there's a there's a bit where the, the overarching premise is that liam neeson and his wife laura dern you know classic um, they have a son, <laughs> they have a teenage son who works at an airport in Denver and kind of steals some drugs from a like a local drug kingpin and gets killed as a result. And Liam goes on this Taken-esque mission to kill everyone involved in his son's death, but along the way becomes entwined in this re-emerging feud between local local native indian tribes 
the white drug dealers of Denver and the kind of lazy mountain police, which is like literally when you say that in a sentence, you're like, oh yeah, Fargo. Um, but it it's not it's not as graphic as I thought it was going to be. No, it's not. not it's not as balls to the wall, octane crazy as I thought it was going to be. Um, and there are some moments in it that will make you genuinely sad. Like there's a bit where eventually, sort of midway through the film, I suppose this is a spoiler, but midway through the film, um, his wife decides to leave because oh. she can't she can't deal with the grief. I know exactly uh, what you're anymore. about to. Well, I'm gonna yeah. I'm just gonna say this now. I have two best moments for this film. Is this one of the best this moments? This is one of them. It's just this is so, my well. This is my best moment in the film. Um, but he essentially he comes home at one stage in the film and the wife's gone and there's really clever camera angles show that there's a letter on the bed um, and he goes and he sits down on the bed and he opens the envelope and he opens the card and there's nothing written in it um, I, I, it's a it's very just clever this... play on that, that classic Hollywood trope of the the sort of I'm leaving you, um, I, I just can't go on anymore. It's a very clever tr- play on it, but it's yeah. also heart wrenching. Like there's nothing left to say. It's just, she's they're just lem- left empty as oh, as people. It's a great moment, and it, and it's that's what's so interesting about this film is it's quite satirical. Um, it's a black comedy through and through, um, and some of it is just like really silly. And then some of it is really sobering, mm. and it has it, it, it weaved through the narrative is this really interesting look at um, childhood and the innocence of youth and um, how, how like being able to be there for kids and look after them and help them grow rather than just kind of give them the physical things they need to physically grow. You know, you need to give them that mental support and stimulation, and that's kind of challenged in the film. And it's all, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's very, it's it, it's a surprisingly layered film. Yeah, and um, I think it. I think also in terms of um, a lot of this film is kind of um, led by by um, an, an, a largely native Native American gang, and I think the portrayal of them at some points borders on sort of stereotypical but they play with that nature they play with the stereotypes asserted to the indians and i'm using that in inverted commas because that's what they are called in the film and they play with all of the words and all of the things that that means um and then you get close to the stereotype and you get far away from the stereotype and it's really interesting about and how they do it i think another one of most those sobering moments is um is they where they are playing on the playing in the snow and um, their leader, um, I think, it, is his name White Bear? Is that the name of the leader? White Bear, yeah. Um, not the Black Mirror mess episode. Um, he is. He has re- recently gone through a bereavement, and he's just seeing all the snow and seeing them just have a great time in in the hills of Denver. And then everything just hits him at once, and he sort of like viscerally screams, like mm. to to the heavens. And I thought that was quite beautiful. And then gets. And then in the next second, it's a comedy scene of the stupid, the other stupid gang leader who's also a bit terrifying because he's he's so unhinged. Um, it's interesting. I 
I think that what in terms of the performances, I think that Liam Neeson. I I remember asking you after you watched this film. You watched this film before I watched it. Um, how was Liam Neeson doing? Being Liam Neeson, and you said. He's probably one of the least interesting parts of this film. He is. He's massively. Um, like, for a film that's kind of marketed around his presence and kind of the plot relies on his character being that kind of grounding pole for everything to happen, he's kind of the cause of all the events of the film, but he doesn't really... He's kind of, he, he does. He becomes inconsequential as you go through it. I remember watching um, a film weeks ago in the Guildford Odeon um, and then walking out... <laughs> shout said, out Guildford Odeon. Shout out Guildford Odeon! Um, and walking out of the cinema, and on my right, there was a poster for Cold Pursuit, and it was one of the stupidest posters, not stupidest, but it was like, it literally looked like a Taken poster. It was Liam Neeson, fully on the poster, like most of the poster was taken up by him, and just snow everything everywhere else. Well, a, a better visual representation for this movie is um, like the Baby Driver poster or a Star Wars poster where it's an ensemble sort of like artistic work of all of the cast. Yeah. And I don't know why that wasn't the main selling point because you've got Laura Dern who is quite a famous actress in her own right and is part of of the Dern dynasty. Um, you've You've got Tom Bateman who's been in a couple of stuff. Um, you've got that guy, um, what's his name? Like one one of the um, gang members isn't shows up in loads of a couple of Doctor Who episodes. Um, you and I think the guy who plays Mustang I've seen on so many TV shows set in New York. It hurts. Um, and so you've got like you've got the vague name recognition, but you also have quite visually striking characters and quite over. I would say over the top in some ways. Or over the top styled in other ways, characters. I think that would be such a better selling point for this movie. I think this movie might not do well just because it's sold on the fact that on Liam Neeson. Yeah, but also sadly, um, you know, we we discussed at length the Liam Neeson comments, so I don't really want to bring it up again. You know, we we both know where we stand on it, and so do you guys listening. That you know, it was the message he was trying to convey was not one of of anger and of nastiness it was of a man trying to right his wrongs and i think we should um rather than challenge it and be kind of freaked out by it we should actually be proud of him for being willing to admit to his faults as, as his past transgressions um but because of so much of the marketing of this film is predicated on it being a Liam Neeson film rather than a look at all these cool actors that are in this movie together film, um, it sells itself short. And because of this recent scandal, if you will, it's probably going to struggle more than if they'd refer to it as not a more ensemble-based picture, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shame. But I also, you know, I had no idea going into this film that people like Dominic Lombardozzi and Benjamin Hollingsworth and some of these great actors, David O'Hara... What has Dominic Lombardozzi been in, Jake? I recognise him so uh, much. He's been in some of the Marvel TV shows, I think. He looks a bit like Tom Kerridge, the chef. Oh, is he Kingpin? He? Uh, no, he's not Kingpin. He's not Kingpin. Oh. He's in Public Enemies. Um, he's in He's in SWAT. If you remember oh, yeah. SWAT from back in the day. Love SWAT. Uh, what else is he in, man? He was in 24. Oh, um, right. he, okay. oh, he plays um, Al Capone's 
uh, brother or son or whatever in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, I've not seen. I, Boardwalk Empire is one of those shows that like it just looks so fantastic, but I just I just feel like it's like Game of Thrones. It's like I can't be dealing with so many narratives. Yeah. I, I, I just I just want to come in from work and watch the good place. I don't want to yeah. have to work out Broadbook Empire. I, I I don't have the energy for HBO anymore. I used to be able to sit there and watch all of that like deep stuff, but now like I haven't watched Westworld season two. And don't get me wrong, it looks great. I've been told it's great, but when I get in from work, I don't want to watch a fucking sixty-seven minute episode. Like fuck off! I want to watch twenty minutes of The Office and go to bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, no. So like this is the point incredible actors in this film and yes like this film is massively uneven it's got very strange pacing and that's not always it doesn't always feel deliberate some of the acting is quite hammy some of the script is quite hammy and it's not going to win any awards but on the whole this film was surprisingly impressive for something that seemed to be billed as just another run-of-the-mill Liam Neeson film, but in reality has quite a lot to it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's all I've got agree. to say. Should we go on to our best descriptions, critic quote awards? Yes, I'm very excited about my best description. Um, go on then, mate. So what's your best description for Cold Pursuit? I'll tell you what my best description is for Cold Pursuit. No, I don't know. I just... <laughs> um, <laughs> Cam- it's my best description is by Cameron Free of Free Film, um, and I think he. Hits oh, do you reckon? Do you reckon he owns that? Well, interestingly, his name is Car- Cameron Free, but Free Film is with a W, so maybe it's a collaboration. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that he he does he does very well with um, sound bites. This guy. Um, he says, an insanely watchable slice of icy mayhem, self-amused but also self-assured, right down to the last rib-tickling frame rib tickling frame the final scene is quite funny oh it's great i love the, the they, they they do a joke from deadpool 2 better than it's done in deadpool 2 oh yeah i yeah i think i think this film has had in terms of its humor like when 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 the young kid is kidnapped and he goes to sleep on liam neeson's shoulder and the i remember the, the screening i was there the whole audience um was like oh and then the kid goes, have you ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome? And like, I, I've <laughs> never heard, like the audience was like roaring. Yeah. It, um, but no, it was really funny. It was yeah. really, really funny. Uh, my, my best description is from Tom Bond of One Room with a View. Bond. Not, not, Tom not, Bond. Not two rooms, not a whole house. Just one room with a view. That's all Tom Bond needs to write a review. Uh, I, think said, it's, I think it's based on the, I think, Oscar winning film A Room with a View. I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. Helen Bonham Carter's like, um, like oh, Mr. Darcy role. It's my mum's favourite film. Sorry, I only know that because it's my mum's favourite film. Shout out Sue Paxton. Yes. Anyway, uh, Tom Bond said it's risky to call anything Cohen-esque, but at times, Cold Pursuit comes close, delivering dark and hilarious comedy with a dose of action on the side. Interesting. I think that I, I think, think that's that I think that's true. This film was I was led to believe this was a really violent action movie, and it's not. No, it's really and not. that's and that's not a bad thing. No, I'm I'm I I, I want more action films to go down in this direction because it's not you 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 can't say that this is an award winning film, but you also I don't think it was boring, even though it was it didn't have as much action in it as I as I was expecting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of want action films now to go back to that sort of like either go, do something really interesting with an action film or go back to that like die hard action film where like it's grit, gritty and it's bare boned and it's not quippy and it's just it's it's ridiculously like B movie territory. Yeah. Yeah. Just not afraid to be shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, my most savage is from American- Aquaman. Aquaman. We need more films like Aquaman. Venom tried to be like Aquaman and failed. The Meg tried to be like Aquaman and failed. We need more films that are ballsy enough to make shit jokes, knowing full well that they're shit, but enabling people to find that funny. Yeah. Not you can't go half-assed. You've got to know that your film is shit and be shit. Exactly. Um, I think I think James Wan said that he was very upset that Aquaman did not win an Oscar nomination, which I think got the laughing face emoji on Facebook to it to, to, to quite a lot. Um, most savage is uh, my most savage um, point is by Bilge Ebery of New York Magazine slash Vulture. So I assume that he wrote it for New York Magazine that got picked up in Vulture or vice versa. Anyway, um, Cold Pursuit ultimately winds up being a, about a, the little. I was I've, I've been doing so well on these, and I've, 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 I can't do them this week. Um, Cold Pursuit ultimately winds up being about. Uh, I'm doing the intonation wrong. This is the problem. Oh well, Cold we need to get Pursuit. That, we need to get that speech therapist back. No, no, no it's, her, just, it's just get her on the just, podcast. I need to add a comma. Once I've added a comma, it's all right. Cold Pursuit ultimately winds up being being about how unsatisfying films like Cold Pursuit can be. Right, yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's really hard to say that sentence without some kind of a break in it. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, it's all right, mate. It's all right. It's all right. We'll get there. Yeah, well, yeah, it's we'll, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll call Kelly. We'll schedule you in for another hour of linguistic class. Kelly Osborne. I like Kelly Osborne. <laughs> like she would teach you how to speak well. Um, my savage description is from Jamie East of The Sun. Dun, dun, dun. The and Sun. He, he said... Oh, the most th- savage. Most savage. Absolutely. I thought it was best... I, for some reason, I thought it was best description. I was like, The Sun? He said, Think Taken, but with Tarantino directing it blindfolded, having typed the script wearing boxing gloves. Oh, there's something... Uh, there's, you you can oh, always count on The Sun. Jamie East. You can always count on The Sun for subtlety, can't you? Oh, completely. <laughs> um, my best moments of the film... Um, we've already talked about the envelope on the bed, and then my second one was the odd sequence where the Native Americans are playing in the snow. Those are my two favourites. Yeah. What is your favourite? The envelope as well. My favourite was the envelope. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I do, I do like the scene where the hitman goes to meet the drug dealing kingpin, and they sit down and they have their conversation. Oh, that is a very good scene. Without giving anything away, that's quite a funny scene. It just plays on the whole loyalty dynamic. Um, But yeah, I think the letter on the bed's great. I think the bit with the boy after he's been kidnapped is pretty good. Yeah, just all round a a surprising film. I think it was a little bit too long. I think sort of two thirds of the way through the film when the plot kind of becomes more about the the Indians. Um, I got a bit bored. I did drift off a little bit at one point, um, but it kind of pulls it back round to quite a satisfying conclusion. They don't um, have t- enough plots in order to like, because it's quite a slow film and I like it being slow, but they don't have enough 
actual things happening in the plot to drive mm. for, drive that like two third point forward. You also, in the first forty five minutes, don't see the film going the expansive way that it does in terms of its plot. You kind of see it as quite a linear. Okay, so Liam's starting to find these guys and kill them now to track down their leader. And surely in like an hour's time he'll have got to the leader and there'll be a standoff it doesn't really work like that it kind of ends up becoming the story ends up becoming about so much more than just him and his vendetta um, so I think when it starts to unfold you kind of there is a bit of you that sits there was a bit of me that sat there for alright like this is interesting but like are they going to make this too convoluted and yeah. they, kind of, they kind of just about keep it on on a on a knife edge. Um, for me, I think out of ten, I'd give it six point five. Uh, absolutely fair enough. Um, I I was going to go six point five, but one of the things I haven't mentioned in this is that I like the use of whenever a character dies. Um, then yes, we haven't talked about that. Actually. Yeah. That um, it's it's where whenever a character dies, the screen goes black and. It has the insignia for their gang or their scorpion sign or something. An insignia for the person and then just the name of their character and their gang name underneath as like a rest in peace type of thing. And it's it's every time and it's brought brought in in really clever ways. And it's kind of like it's almost like a punchline in a way. So sometimes the, a death is really sad, so they'll build up to it and there'll be sort of a slow fade into it. And then sometimes a, 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 a death is really trivial, so you'll be introduced to a character for let fall and don't even know the name of the character and then he'll just die and then it'll flash up on the screen and then... Really like, quickly. Really quickly and that'll be his like his literal character description will be his gang name um, in the credits, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's like, like mini obituaries throughout the film, but they're yeah, the way they're kind of edited in is very clever and some of them are very funny and some of them are very dramatic and there are some where you don't actually even see the person die. You just kind of see them be sort of driven off into the distance and then it comes up on the screen confirming that they die, Yeah, uh, which is quite a clever technique. It means that the film doesn't always have to show you everyone being killed to confirm it to you. And then right at the end of the movie... Um, it takes the original title of the original Norwegian film in order of disappearance and it has all of the names of all of the characters up on the screen and one by one they kind of fade away in that kind of Avengers Infinity War kind of way um, in the order of which they either left the film or were killed and it's and it kind of ends with Liam Neeson's name kind of fading at the end. It's really clever. It's, it's really it's, cool. I think it's really, really clever. I like, I like the fact that in the last two weeks, um, I've seen Lego Movie Two, which had one of the uh, one of the greatest credit sequences I've seen in a while, and then this, which had a really also interesting credit sequence. Um, I'm going to give it seven. Okay. Which uh, may be too high, but I can't. I think it, I just think this film was great. Um, I think there was some pacing problems, and it's obviously not the best film in the world. But I think I think it deserves, as an action film, it's one it's one of the most enjoyable action films I've seen in years. It was it was a good oh, bold claim. It's a um, it... <laughs> well yeah the the nice guys obviously is the one of the top for that. Oh god, um, it, it's a good film. It just didn't do anything particular to wow me. Like if I'm comparing it to last week with Alita, which I think I gave a seven or a seven point five, um, Alita 
really blew me away in mm. terms of not only special effects and, and and story, but also kind of the genuine emotion behind the, the plot. Um, but I do think that this is a slow burner and it's one of those movies that I'll probably go and watch again when it comes out on, you know, whatever streaming platform um, and appreciate even more. Um, mm. It's just one of those films. It kind of reminds me of, um, have you seen Annihilation? With Natalie I have not Portman. seen Annihilation, no. So, so that was a film that kind of, generally speaking, critics liked it, but it's it's quite um, interpretive. Interpretative, I don't know how to say it, but it, lots of people get very different things from that film. And the first time I watched it, I wasn't very impressed by it. I was a bit confused. And I don't think I was in the mood. And then the second time I watched it, it, it floored me. And I think this is one of those films where you could watch it and not be that impressed, but then you could go back and really watch it and think, oh, you know what? There are some moments in this film that are, you know, they're very, very real, very touching. Um, it deserves a lot of credit. It's a good movie. Well, it's it's no Prisoner of Azkaban, but then again, nothing is. Um... <laughs> is that the barometer now? Is that what we're doing? Uh, it's not Paddington 2 and it's not the Prisoner of Azkaban, but it tried. Yes, it tried its best. Um, yeah. Well, I suppose that brings us to the end of our Oscars special and our week 36. Um, what's the film we watched again? Cold Pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know Will is still with us. Um, it's been a yeah, long week. That, that is it. End of week 36. Now, we are going to have an interesting month ahead of us. So I don't think we've actually talked about it on the podcast yet, but I am going away for a month. I'm leaving the UK. I'm going to New Zealand, uh, jetting off and doing some travelling, which will be really, really cool. Um, I'm going to be taking my trusty blue snowball microphone with me um, because I can't escape the podcasting life. Shout out blue snowballs for being so compact and getting in my luggage. Um, And we are going to be recording four episodes from different time zones. worlds apart some might say um it's going to be a real test of our relationship you know i'm going to miss him a lot but it's going to be good to have that space (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly i think Um, we'll do us both good no (laughs) no we we haven't decided uh what we're going to do in terms of the films we cover we are pretty adamant that we're going to try and both go and see captain marvel in a couple of weeks when it comes out and give that a review because i think that's that's very necessary um but we're kind of toing and froing. We've got a few ideas, so we'll keep people posted. But we're thinking of either doing kind of a travel series of reviews or we're thinking of doing you guys recommend some movies for us that we haven't talked about and we'll review them. Um, or we're also, you know, there's a bunch of movies, as Will mentioned to me a few days back, there's a bunch of movies that we've kind of missed off that we haven't been able to see since we started doing the podcast. Um, for example, First Man. Bad Times at the El Royale. We haven't seen Beast, which is, um, you know, again, was doing really well at the BAFTAs. Um, So we might just pick a few of those movies that we were meaning to review, were keen to review and haven't got round to yet um, and cover those. But we are going to be back primarily with our news each week. Um, as we're kind of moving into the summer season of movies there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of things being confirmed and we haven't really been doing the news for the last few weeks because we've kind of been dwarfed by the awards season so it's going to be good to get back to that uh, and kind of give you guys live updates on the biggest things happening in Hollywood and biggest things happening on TV um, 
and inevitably will dip into superheroes and gaming and well the <laughs> summer of superheroes is coming baby it is it is um but that's it that's it for week 36 uh next time we record i'll be in auckland oh gosh, you'll still be in london i have no idea what wi-fi is going to be like but we'll get there we'll work it out <laughs> we'll see how it goes uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening. As always, please make sure you stay in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook. We don't use our Twitter, so don't bother getting in touch with us yeah, on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you can listen through Anchor. If you haven't listened through Spotify, please do. Um, drop us a review on iTunes, because for some reason, that's the only place where podcasts can get any kind of ratings. Um, well the big traction is with iTunes I don't understand why no other podcasting thing hasn't got an equivalent of iTunes or just lifts the iTunes reviews to their own format well I just, I just don't get why you can't review them on Google Play and Spotify yeah you know hey potato potato podcast potato potato <laughs> 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 anyway thank you very much Will thank you very much Jake and we will see